all you movie junkies and cinephiles, it's time for the SLS Cast with your hosts, Matt and Tim. And welcome, one and all, to episode 289 of the SLS Cast. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, this is the Japanese EMU train type episode of the SLS Cast because it turns out that there is a DC electrical multiple unit EMU train type in Japan. And this is a series known as 289 series. And... Despite not knowing what the hell that really means, I, of course, am Matt. And coming to us all the way from sunny California would be our resident Sony employee, Tim. Matthew, how are you doing? Yo. How's your summer? Are you dying? I'm not dying. Although my voice seems a little scratchy, I just noticed that. Uh, I don't know. I guess I'm going through second puberty. We've had one, yes, but what about second puberty? Um, I... <laughs> <laughs> Is that from something? Well, it's a play on we've had one, yes, but what about second breakfast from Lord of the Rings? Oh, yes, yes. The Hobbits? So, anyway, yeah, so notice the voices are scratchy. No, honestly, I've just had some uh, frustrations, which obviously we talked about in depth during the pre-show. Mainly... Obvious to me, not obvious to the listener or two. Exactly, exactly. Our, Our favorite listener who, after tonight, may not be our favorite listener anymore. <laughs> <laughs> um, but <laughs> stay tuned, uh, you know, find out. And, and uh, no, no, just um, car trouble frustrations combined with uh, end of summer school frustrations, um, gearing up to get into my final semester that I, you know, prior to the beginning of summer, I wasn't planning on having, and now I'm going to have it, and uh, yeah. Matthew, I did tell you, driving mm. a go-kart every day probably wouldn't work out in your favor, and look what happened. Well, you know, you'd think that uh, with my ability to not just capture coins but get the blue shell that having the go-kart would have worked out but alas it just you were you were right after all indeed now i think you should get a vespa i would love to see you riding around delivering pizzas in a vespa that would be hilarious I, i i think if i was to do anything as obsequious as that i would have to get a a karmagia i believe is what it's called a karmagia Yes, it's a it's a it was a short lived little sporty sedan kind of a car um, that uh, kind of along the lines of the MG those those old MG vehicles. Oh, yeah, and a stuff. Carmen Gia. Carmen Gia is that what it is? Yeah, K A R M A double N space G H I A. These are adorable. Sure. There are Porsche Gears, Ford Gears, Subaru Gears, Chrysler Gears, and a flat gear. <laughs> but, but but yeah, you're yeah, talking about the, the Volkswagen Carmen. Yeah, the old Volkswagen Carmen Gears. Yeah, there you go. Um, which is two words. And see, I didn't even know that. I thought it was a one word. But uh, yeah, there there, I, I would have to do one of those because for me, it would absolutely have to be a nice little sporty it's kind of like it was kind of like the 60s 
and 70s version of the Mazda Miata, right? Um, oh, sure. Yeah. And, 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 and I think I, I, I remember wanting a Mazda Miata when I was like, you know, 13 or 14, thinking they were cool, not realizing that, uh, they were thoroughly not cool to have. Um, but, uh, you know, oh well, live and learn. This definitely looks like the type of car that a hunky German movie star back in the 40s and 50s would have crashed in and died in. <laughs> it's, good. it's good to know you're going, you're keeping it light. Uh, it's good to know. Yeah, I mean, if you're going to crash and die in a car, Matthew, what what kind of car would it be? Would you want to go with something serious and, like, manly, or would you want to go with something kind of funny? Like a clown car. Hmm. Or a go-kart. Now, well, it depends. Am I, are we doing like a James Dean kind of thing? Or are we doing like a Thelma and Louise kind of thing? You know what? Where it's like off a cliff? Or are we actually just getting into a car wreck here? Let's keep it light. Let's keep the conversation light since we are a family show. How about if you decide to Thelma and Louise it and you just careen off the side of a of a mountain in Utah, off a cliff in Utah or Arizona. Okay. Wherever the hell they were. a cliff in Utah, then... A pretty high cliff. I mean, I mean you're probably going to go down a good 8,000 feet. All right. Then, okay. Then I'm definitely... Then I am choosing the Mazda Miata. I, I would go... Because at that point, I figure, given my current physical state... It would still be a pretty even keel attempt to get to 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 make that eight thousand feet turn into like you know fourteen or fifteen thousand feet because now I'm I, I'm able to go distance before I drop. You see, can like evil can evil it, and you need a somewhat lighter vehicle for that. And then I can live out my dream of being in a Mazda Miata at least once. Yeah. I kind Which of is like, important. You know? Right, right. I mean, yeah. Have you ever been in a super fast, groovy car like a Miata? No, not... Again, I've never been in a Miata, so it would be a thing. But I have been in a uh, a true Mustang Cobra. Ooh, okay. Yes. And that was quite the experience, let me tell you. Well, I think... If I was going to Thelma and Louise it, uh, more than likely it would be with myself, because I don't know if we could fit two people in this uh, Ford Pinto here. But I'm going with a car that will explode upon impact, because you need that See, but it wouldn't explode on impact. What's that? But it wouldn't explode on impact, because the impact would occur from the front. And Pinto's only exploded when rear-ended. But... We never specified, are we careening off the cliff forward or backward? See, does it work both ways? Can you still careen off a cliff if you haul ass backwards off a cliff? I don't, I I don't know. I mean, at that point, now we're entering into Ferris, uh, Ferris Bueller territory, and I'm not really sure if that counts. Yeah. Well, his car just dropped out of the window. But it did do it, but it did do it in reverse. True, but it just, it, but it dropped. Even if it went So forward, then it didn't careen. It dropped. Exactly. So, you so can therefore least... you cannot careen if you're in reverse. Well, sure you can, because if you, if you get the speed, like in Thelma Louise, 
and you have a little bit of a ramp, maybe. I would guess. I mean, I, I'm pretty sure. You know this- what? You know what? It's it's your it's it's your way of going out over the cliff. So I assume you could do it any way you want. By God, if that's what you want to do, then that's what you should do. Yeah, I, fa- I found a list of the most explosive cars, and other than the Ford Pinto, there's the Chevy Bolt and a Mini Cooper. Yeah, the Ford Pinto would be kind of because like the Chevy Volt reminds me of a car to where there's a slight chance that you'll be hanging on to like your last breath, you know, laying at the bottom of that ravine or hill or cliff or whatever the hell you careened from or dropped from. Whereas the Ford Pinto explosion dead upon impact, all bases covered. I I like, I want to be sure that, that there is a 155% chance that I'm a goner. Upon impact. Oh, we're entering, we're entering Maury Povich percentages now. Because <laughs> uh, I'm not just 100% sure I'm not the father. I'm 1,000% sure. I'm 155% sure. Matthew, I've been wanting to tell you, Matt, you are the Connie Chung to my Maury Povich. <laughs> You're Maury Povich. <laughs> oh, man. That's awesome. Well, anyway. This is a happy discussion here. sure um, so is it is anything but but you know we didn't officially ask how are you oh i'm fine okay very good <laughs> well then uh leaving our leaving our thelma louise discussion in the wind uh do you you know we actually uh should uh, do something we haven't done in a while which is uh check our sack you know it's important you know much like getting a mammogram or a colonoscopy or a prostate exam it's important that we should check our sack every so often exactly and sometimes it's good to have a buddy to check your sack with that's right check that mail sack check it good check that mail sack like you should awesome all right so looks like we actually have our our, our childish yay sound. So, so we're, we're clearly not, uh, in any danger this week because we actually have an email. So exciting, exciting. And it turns out that our email is from the one, the only Diana Weeks. Uh, she writes in the subject line, Ant-Man and show notes. She says, Hey guys. After seeing Ant-Man and the Wasp and thoroughly enjoying it as a light-hearted respite from the summer heat, I was eager to hear your take on it. As you can imagine, I was disappointed in your review. Lighten up, guys! This movie was like watching the old Saturday morning cartoons. Light, fluffy, sweet stuff like cotton candy for the mind. Something to giggle at, give the brain a break from plots and problems. I think it's a bit sad that being a movie reviewer seems to make you have to analyze every flick and miss the pure joy of just sitting back and enjoying the silly antics. This letter, ellipses, it is truth serum! And is truth serum is in all caps. And you know what? I, I, I understood that reference. Also, what happened to the show notes? I missed the timestamps so I can go right to the movies. If I so desire, along with seeing which movies they are. Ever your loyal fan, Diana. All right. So a couple of things real, real quick. Um, so it does seem that Diana is still rocking with us which is awesome and we of course really and truly appreciate all forms of communication and constructive criticism which clearly this is and it comes from love and everything and we accept it lovingly but two things 
because we were going over this before the show. I liked Ant-Man and the Wasp. I was hard on it because I think it's important that we point out where where the movie could improve. But I distinctly remember saying that this is going to be just the kind of light comedic arm of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And I maintain that I still am a sucker for the dialogue and the repertoire uh, and repartee of... Uh, uh, and, oh, good lord, Paul Rudd and help me. Uh, what's his associate? Oh, gosh. Wait, who's associate? Oh, he, his, his buddy from jail. Um, Michael, Michael Pena. Pena. Yeah. Yes. So I love that. And, and I did end up giving the movie a three. So I liked the movie. I, I didn't feel like I was too hard on it, but I can see where you're coming from. I can see where you're coming from. Um, and uh, in, in a nod to that, I'm going to be reflecting this attitude that you would prefer to see the truth serum, as it were, in my skyscraper review forthcoming this 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 episode. Um, also, in terms of the show notes, Tim, please defend thyself. Well, if you go over to slscast.com, there happens to be timestamps on at least the last few episodes, Dirty Diana. Including the Ant-Man and the Wasp episode. Including the Ant-Man and the Wasp episode. I'm not sure what happened there. (laughs) (laughs) So, but that does bring us to, that does bring us to, let us know, though, which podcast service uh, podcast directory you're using because if it's coming up differently in your podcast directory then it shows up on our website or on stitcher uh and itunes then we need to know that so that we can make sure it is uh so, so that you, you yeah so that you guys are seeing it the way we are seeing it when uh when tim works really hard to get that stuff posted so Thank you very, very much as always, Anna. We love hearing from you and we hope that you will be writing us again soon. Um, and I really hope that, you know, you, you are going to like what I have to say about Skyscraper, regardless of whether or not you enjoyed Skyscraper, because I think you're going to like what I have to say when it comes there. Anything you'd like to jump in? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it got me thinking with, uh, with your email about be more lenient on Ant-Man and the Wasp. Um, so I was reading some Twitter information from another podcast, and this was from months and months and months ago. I don't remember exactly who it was, but they were saying that people that they don't like it when people are overly critical of certain movies. And I don't remember which movie in particular they were talking about, but I I vaguely remember it being one that Matt, you and I watched and I particularly did not care for that movie. And they said, look, there's only a certain amount of people who are able to go see movies all the time. But then there are people that just go to the movies just to have a good time once in a while. When they go on Rotten Tomatoes and see a particular movie that's supposed to be good, and they go and see it, because they don't normally go see movies that often, and they enjoy it, they think that should be okay. And that's great, and that's fine. I mean, I will never judge anybody from liking a particular movie unless they say that some ridiculous movie is the Citizen Kane of movies in a good in a good way. You know what I mean? Like, clearly you haven't seen a lot of great stuff if you consider Flashdance to be one of the best movies 
ever made, you know, and actually mean it. Not saying that anybody has said that, but I've heard people talk about various movies kind of like that. So there's like a very interesting line when it comes to people who review movies and have podcasts about movies, because a lot of people, whenever they listen to podcasts about movies, they want to hear positive stuff, you know? So Matthew, we, we kind of have to, you know, almost 290 episodes in, 290 weeks in almost consecutively. Mm -hmm. We have to decide what kind of podcast do we want to be? Do we want to be the kind that only looks at the positive aspects of movies? Or do we need to be edgier? If the movie calls for it, critique the movie and try to hold the movie to a certain standard. Because we need more movies at a certain standard, regardless if they're fluff pieces or they're not fluff pieces. Well, I think... All right, and again, this is going to bleed into Skyscraper later on. I don't believe that we are unnecessarily hard on mo on like Marvel movies or DC movies. And I and and I don't think that we are unnecessarily um deconstructing movies in the action in the action vein. What we always jokingly refer to and and pick on Johnny about when we always go back and forth about popcorn flicks and stuff like that. I don't think that we're unfair on those. Because I think that um taking the movies apart and really trying to make sure that they hold the higher standard will ultimately give us more Iron Man, you know, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 1 kind of movies than it will give us, say, Iron Man 3, right? Um, because it's not... We don't, we don't pick at the movies that we pick at because we're trying to be... Uh, uppity and anal and overly refined when unnecessary it's because we want to be able to enjoy all movies regardless of its regardless of its genre and its audience on the same level it's nice to be able to say to honestly be able to say something like i think that guardians of the galaxy volume one for example can honestly compete in a realm with, um, say, the, the Shape of Water, all right? They're completely different genres of film, but they have such high-quality marks in the writing department or the visual department. And again, I was not the biggest fan of Shape of Water, but hey, running away with the Oscars like it did. Um, so that you can be able to say that these movies are on equal footing despite the fact that they're different types of movies. And that's that's where I think, Tim, if, if I am speaking out of turn for you, that's where I think we're coming from. It's not that we don't not enjoy movies just for the sake of enjoying movies. Um, and sometimes it's okay to do that. I think that, I think that kind of makes part of the fun of creme de la crap, uh, where it's really worthy for that because we admit the movies are terrible, but sometimes, even if it's not for the right reasons, they become good anyway. 
they're still funny. They're still great to look at and watch and make fun of. And sometimes really be able to pick out the things that are like, wow, you can really see what they were trying to do here. Even though they failed at the expectation or in the execution, you can still see what it was that they were trying to do. And that in and of itself also becomes something fun for someone who doesn't want to just, you know, air quotes, turn their brain off and watch a movie um, and still be able to and still be able to enjoy it. Um, so. So, yeah, I, I don't um, I don't begrudge anyone anything who says that, you know, I don't need to be a movie critic. I, I just want to see if the movie has a general consensus of people liking it. And sometimes people use the tomato meter and they ignore the tomato meter. They say, oh, it's got a 30% on Rotten Tomatoes, but the audience score is 85% like it. So you know what? Screw the reviewers. I'm going to go see the movie because I'll probably like it. That's a valid point to consider. Sorry, I guess I'm climbing down off my soapbox now. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> <sighs> All right. Well, now that we now that we've probably alienated everyone else, would D- you Diana, to... are you still there? <laughs> yeah, Diana. Uh, is this thing on? <laughs> uh, yeah. Shall we go ahead and jump to some news? Ooh, let's do it. Here we go, folks. It's the news. <laughs> And I really only have one thing that I want to talk about. So I've only got one thing in news. So, Tim, I know you've got uh, a, a few more things you want to talk Would you like to go first this round? Sure. First up from TheGuardian.com, scientists uncover formula for box office movie success. Yes, this is written by Mark Brown, and it was published on July 24th, and it says this. A team of UK scientists believe they have found the formula for box office success. After analyzing data from 6,147 movie scripts and filtering it through a series of algorithms, the researchers have identified the emotional arc that makes the most money, called the, quote, man in a hole, end quote, arc. It could be game-changing for both film producers and audiences, said Ghana Pogrebna, a professor of behavioral economics and data science at the University of Birmingham, who led the research team. Quote, we know that when we talk about movie production, it is a small group of people that make decisions for the viewers. We were essentially trying to listen to the viewer to see what they actually want, end quote. The scientists categorized the movies according to six emotional profiles or clusters which were previously applied to novels. These are rags to riches, an ongoing emotional rise as seen in films such as The Shawshank Redemption, riches to rags, an ongoing emotional fall like in Psycho, man in a hole, a fall, followed by a rise like The Godfather, Icarus, a rise followed by a fall, for instance, on the waterfront, Cinderella, a rise followed by a fall, followed by a rise, for instance, Babe, and Oedipus, a fall followed by a rise, followed by a fall, and they forgot to mention here, followed by sex with mother. I added that last part. 
<laughs> but again, Oedipus, a uh, fall, followed by a rise, followed by a fall, for instance, all about my mother. Uh, and it continues, they were able to then map the clusters that were most successful at the box office across 21 genres. The analysis showed that Man in a Hole movies, with their happy, sad, happy trajectory, were the most financially successful movies across all genres, costing an average of 40.5 million bucks to produce and earning an average of 54.9 million bucks. For biographical films, Rags to Riches came out on top, but it was far less successful in mysteries and thrillers. For comedies, the Riches to Rags arc, which follows for a sad ending, was by far the least successful. Excuse me, which allows for a sad ending, was by far the least successful. The researchers found that Man in a Hole films were not the most liked, but they were likely to be the most talked about. The research has been published by Cornell University Library titled The Data Science of Hollywood Using Emotional Arcs of Movies to Drive Business Model Innovation in Entertainment Industries. Pog Brenna said that the research findings were multidimensional. For example, riches to rags, movies could be financially successful if they were epic and made with a huge budget, such as Christopher Nolan's Batman movies. Icarus films are most successful with a low budget, and Oedipus films do not do well at award ceremonies. Uh, yada, yada, yada. The article goes on from there. Uh, Matt, what do you think about this? I think this is kind of silly. I think this is kind of a waste of fucking time for these scientists to mull over a formula for box office movie success. Basically, what they came up with seems fairly obvious to me. What do you think about stuff like this? Well, <laughs> not to be unnecessarily <laughs> contrary, but I will say that there that while it is somewhat obvious uh, in terms of structure and things for people like us who, I mean, that's what we do. We watch on average no less than three movies a week. And so we're constantly looking at all these different kinds of things. You know, you specifically have gone to school for this stuff. Even I've taken some film classes in college. Um, so we, you know, we're, we're looking at things through these different lenses that we went to, we, we've studied, right? So. In that regard, yeah, we know what we're looking for. We know why things are the way they are. And in theory, we could uh, come up with a good idea to build a good movie. But not everybody looks at it that way or thinks it that way. And being able to just casually approach it from the outside looking in by basing it off a study isn't the worst thing. I, I mean, I'm sure maybe they could have looked into something else like curing a particular type of cancer maybe but hey you know maybe that's not their forte as scientists who knows i will say that for the hardcore naysayers to peep to to a study like this peewee's big adventure uh paul rubens has uh literally gone on the record as saying uh there is how to write a script there's a book out there from the uh, very late 70s early 80s and I want to say it's pretty much just titled How to Write a Script. And he and his writing partner literally followed that book verbatim and wrote the script to Pee-wee's Big Adventure. It was probably How to Write a Script in 21 Days or something like that. But, I mean, seriously. And so they literally just took the book. And when the book said, okay, introduce your character by doing this. 
That's what they did. And then it said, okay, the, the main character needs to meet his, uh, meet his foil at, by this particular part in act one. That's what they did. And then they literally just wrote it out just like the book told them to. And then that was the script they used and Tim Burton directed. And the rest, as I say, is history. So <laughs> there are people who could use a study like this and go, Oh, we're going to make a movie. It's going to be a blockbuster. How are we going to do it? I've got the study right here. <laughs> But I think my thing is that, like, okay, well, rags to riches will not work unless you have a big budget, like the Dark Knight. Where you know, it's just like obviously, it's it's random because once you have so many of the of the same type of movies come out, you know, if you have too many come releasing around the same time, people are going to get tired of those kind of movies. People are going to get tired of all these rags to riches movies. So that's why you need another one, man in a hole type of movie. Well, we haven't seen a man in a hole movie in a while. Therefore, if it's good enough, it could be an Oscar contender. And because it's an Oscar contender, oh, wow, that's going to make some money. So it's very random. And I think it's too random to really justify this all with a, with a formula, I suppose. But what am I? Or who am I to judge? Am I human? <laughs> am I a judger? Am I a mocker or a rocker? Whatever. But you be the judge of this. Scientists uncover Flor- uh, For- Florida. Scientists uncovered Florida. <laughs> Scientists uncover formula for box office movie success via The Guardian. Quickly, I'm going to jump over here, and then I'll turn it over to Matt. Via SlashFilm.com, I have two bits of news here pertaining to streaming and online movie viewing uh the first one here slashfilm.com itunes deal lets you buy 190 movies for 300 bucks this was posted on july 24th and it was written by hoi tran bui h-o-a-i dash t-r-a-n space b-u-i apologies for mispronouncing that name yet again And it says this, a new iTunes deal could let you buy as many as 190 movies from the past three decades and one of the biggest sales of the year, and it would only cost you about 300 bucks. iTunes is currently offering select 10 film bundles in digital HD. Each of the bundles cover a separate decade dating back to the 1970s, including classic films like Apocalypse Now, Dirty Dancing, The Truman Show, No Country for Old Men, and so much more. The Decade 10 movie bundles cost $19.99 each. Total the bundles, uh, in total, the bundles amount to 190 movies for only 300 bucks. But there comes some fine print. Buying all 190 movies for $300 would require you to buy four $100 iTunes gift cards for $80 each online. This gift card deal is typically available on many online retailers, including Best Buy, Walmart, and others. And uh, apparently here are some of the available bundles. Uh, This article features the full list, but I'm just going to mention a few from each decade. Uh, From the 1970s, Paper Moon, Great Gatsby, Love Story, Grease, The Out-of-Towners, Harold and Maude... From the 80s, you have, like, the Naked Gun movie, Airplane, Footloose, Urban Cowboy, Clue. You even got some Evil Dead 2, Drugstore Cowboy, Kickboxer, Rambo First Blood, uh, Manhunter from the 90s, Wayne's World, Clueless, The Truman Show, What's Eating Gilbert Grape, Galaxy Quest, Ghost, Kingpin, Superstar, 
I don't know why Superstar's on here. That's kind of a waste of a title. Pie, Scream, The English Patient, Clerks, The Blair Witch Project, Goodwill Hunting, Swingers, Basic Instinct, Reservoir Dogs. Uh, from the 2000s, we have I Love You Man, She's the Man, School of Rock, Tropic Thunder, How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days, Anchorman, Zoolander, Crash, Gangs of New York, Monsters Ball, 310 to Yuma, Saul, Mulholland Drive, Lord of War. And actually, upon further viewing, it looks like they break it down to even more specific categories, like comedy movies from the 2000s, romantic movies from the 2000s, action movies from the 2000s, classic movies from the 90s, classic 80s collection, classic 70s collection, best of the 90s, best of the 80s, yada, 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 yada. Honestly, it's kind of a smorgasbord of films that you can that you can choose from to, to purchase here. I think this is pretty interesting. Me personally, I wouldn't buy into this because there are definitely a handful of movies on here that I definitely wouldn't recommend as a best of list for a particular decade, especially with Superstar being labeled as an iconic film of the 90s. But hey, hey, that's just me. Uh, and then quickly here via theinformation.com, Walmart plots rival to Netflix, Amazon Prime Video, uh, written by Jessica Tunkel and Tom Doten and Priya Anad. And this here was posted on July 17th, and it says this. Walmart is considering launching a subscription streaming video service to compete with Netflix and Amazon Prime Video. People familiar with the situation told the information. Such a move could be enormously costly for the retailer, but would demonstrate its determination to compete on multiple fronts with Amazon in particular. The Bentonville ARC-based retailer sees an opportunity to undercut Netflix and Amazon on price. Walmart is thinking of a service price below 8 bucks per month, According to one of the people, Netflix has been steadily raising the price of its service, which now costs between $8 and $14 a month, while Amazon charges $8.99 a month for its Prime Video service. While Amazon charges $8.99 a month for its Prime Video service. Walmart is also considering an ad-supported free service. Again, that was via theinformation.com, Walmart plots rival to Netflix and Amazon Prime Video, and the article before that via slashfilm.com, iTunes deal lets you buy 190 movies for $300. Matt, what do you think about this? Cheaper deal with Walmart, does that pique your interest at all? Mm, I don't know. Does spending 300 bucks for 190 movies on iTunes pique your interest at all <laughs> not not particularly but i think okay i i think in terms of cobbling together a i would say at least moderately decent uh film collection from scratch so like you know you know so my kids for example you know if my kids were college age and into movies and stuff like that I would say that's probably not the worst investment they can make for 300 bucks in terms of movies. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, there's not there's not a lot for someone who's who's seen the majority of those movies per, per se unless they just really really like them and know they're going to watch them pretty frequently. But I would say for people who don't have a large movie collection, um man, getting spending a buck 10 on, you know, basically a dollar 10 on 190 movies, yeah, sure. I I I I can see how that would uh 
I, I can see how that would work really well in your favor. And you get some, you get, for the most part, it seems like you get some at least halfway decent movies. Um, and then now you can have these movies, watch them at your leisure, watch them over time. Maybe never watch them like most people watch. Most people don't watch the bulk of their DVD slash Blu-ray collections, right? Or, and now 4K collections. But, uh, yeah, I, so I can see that there's, I can see a purpose behind it. Um, is it for me? No, but, I definitely would say it's it's a great way to get into watching movies from all sorts of genres, all sorts of decades, and getting it on the cheap. So and I if, would say good on that. If I may offer a alternate way about going about broadening your movie palette, I suppose, is that if you're younger, and if you already have a subscription to Netflix, to Amazon Prime, Hulu even... If you have Xfinity, the Xfinity app, or you know any of the TV provider apps, you know they, they stream stuff as well through HBO, Showtime. And if you're able to spend an extra thirteen, fourteen dollars, even nine bucks a month, I decided to go back to getting DVDs through Netflix. It's like an extra fourteen bucks a month, and you can get two DVDs or two Blu-rays at a time. You can switch them out as many times as you want for an entire month. Again, that's 14 bucks. Now, what's cool about getting DVDs and Blu-rays is with a lot of these titles that are historical movie titles, oftentimes they still come with special features. To me, that is just as important as just watching these movies. Learning about them is just as important as, as watching these films. So instead of spending 300 bucks on 190 movies, which again, it's a buffet. Think about how many of these movies you already have access to. And if it would be beneficial or not to just rent these DVDs or Blu-rays through Netflix, or if there is another service out there where you can do that. That's just my, that's just my alternative two cents. And then the Walmart thing, right? Yeah. So the Walmart thing, eh, I guess I, I'll tell you what. If Walmart came out with a sixty or ninety day free trial, not thirty days, but a sixty or ninety day free trial, um, enough to really try it and see if their catalog is worth anything, if the streaming player works, if it's good cross platform. Which, let's face it, because you're not going to exclusively use that in your thirty day window. Uh, you're not going to get a good picture of what they really have and whether or not it's worth it, then yes, I would try it. Um, or maybe if they did a try it for 90 days for 10 bucks kind of a thing, something like that, then sure, I'd throw 10 bucks at it to give it a try. But would I just jump ship and check it out? No, it's not worth it. I mean, even with Amazon's price increase, they're going up now to $150 a year. That's twelve fifty a month. So basically, they're now ostensibly tied on a monthly rate with Netflix, and you get a bajillion different kinds of movies and TV shows, and now tons and tons and tons and tons of original content with Netflix. And then the same thing, you're getting all that cool stuff with Amazon, plus the Prime shipping, plus the Prime music, plus the everything you can do with Alexa and blah, 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 and all that kind of crap. So I don't really see a reason to just randomly dump one or the other and or you know throw in yet another streaming service just because they think they can bastards 
says the guy who's probably going to shell out the money for the Disney one when it comes out. (laughs) (laughs) And you have the DC streaming platform that's going to be launching soon if it hasn't already. Oh, man. There's a DC one? Like as in DC Comics? Yeah, yeah. Uh, you'll be able wow. to stream and stream any DC animated movie, any DC live action movie. You're, you'll be able to have access to the catalog of comic books as well. Who are the eight people that are going to fall for that? God, I feel sorry for them. Oh, it's going to be big. So if you're able to look at every single comic book digitally, have access to it, I think people are well, going to. Well, okay, be if it's including it. the comics. All right, I didn't. Uh, that was not clicking with me when you yeah. mentioned that at first. Of what I know, I believe it's all of them. Okay, if you're getting as his comics, then I could see where people would get in on that. But just for their movies and their animated stuff, not good enough. It's just there's not. A, I mean, seriously, it's just not enough variety. Someone would sit there and go, "And well, wow, I'm gonna get this," and then they'll watch Batman the Animated Series from 1995. You know, from the 1990s, and. Then they'll be like, well, what am I paying for this for? Right. Or they'll go back and watch the Justice League, um, the, the, the Justice League movies that, that came out, the animated Justice League movies or something. And then they'll be like, wow, well, that was a great week. What am I paying for this for? I, I think it's a, I think it's an interesting concept if they include the comics though. All right. Well, then here's my news from sci-fi.com. By way of Matthew Jackson, petition for Disney to rehire James Gunn reaches quarter of a million signatures and counting. That's right. So in case you've been under a rock for the past few days, um, by the way, we are, uh, as we record this, it's the 24th of July. So back on the 20th, uh, Walt Disney decided to fire Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 director James Gunn, and the movement to have him reinstated continues to grow. Uh, basically, if, uh, James Gunn, back, uh, back in 2010 to 2012 era of Twitter, made egregious comments and very much stupid, sickening shock humor. That is all about all, I mean, the worst kinds of topics you can think of, right? Rape and pedophilia and all this kind of stupid shit. Um, he fully admits that, and, and the stupid thing is, is that back in like 2013 or something like that, 2014, when he first started getting on board with the, uh, with the Guardians of the Galaxy stuff, he went on the record back then and was like, you know, this was kind of stupid, and I, I apologize because obviously this stuff is, even though it's lame attempted humor, clearly it didn't land, and that's not me anymore, right? And he's not done that since. So clearly we can say, in, uh, we could say he's evolved, he's grown, he's a better person, whatever. Maybe he's not a better person, but at least he's been smarter about toning it down. And it came to light through a, uh, through a right wing, uh, basically a, not, I, they're, they're saying far right wing, but basically just your, think, think Rush Limbaugh-esque, right? Back in the day, Glenn Beck, as we've liked to pick on, uh, in more recent years, kind of, you know, kind of definitely harder right, but not necessarily extreme right, uh, this guy uh, from the Daily Caller got a hold of his tweets and screenshotted him and said, hey, how dare you let some guy say these things and 
be a director. Disney saw that, and then they said, oh, you're fired. No drawback, no nothing. And to Gunn's credit, even now, to Gunn's credit, he has never tried to backtrack. He has never tried to shift the blame. He has never tried to finger point and, <laughs> or as, as other people say, no, you know, he's not claiming an ambient moment or anything like that. He sits there and said, look, Disney's a corporation. They've got a, they've got a face that they've got to maintain. I totally understand where they're coming from. And all I can say is what I've said before, which is I'm sorry I made the comments and I'm going to move forward. He doesn't, he doesn't try and say, oh, this was da 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 da. No, nothing. He doesn't equivocate. He says, the statements I made before are not who I am anymore. They weren't who I was back then. I was making bad jokes. Doesn't make it right. I'm sorry. And that's it. Um, consequently, he's had other celebrities like Patton Oswalt come to his, uh, come, come to his defense. Joe Carnahan, Selma Blair, Dave Bautista, of course, his brother, Sean Gunn. Even, uh, Chris Pratt has been like, you know, you know, guys, you gotta pray and you gotta be slow to anger, you know, and, and things like that. So he's got tons and tons of people on his side right now. Uh, Joe Rooker, right? Joe Rooker? Thomas Rooker? What's his name? I'm Mary Poppins, y'all. What's what, right? What's his? Um, I know his name. Michael Tom? Rooker. Michael Mike, Rooker. Okay. There you go. Thank <laughs> good God. Michael Rooker. I'm fucking Joe Rooker. Michael Rooker literally left Twitter over this whole thing. He's like, Twitter's fucking stupid. I'll see y'all on Instagram. Peace. <laughs> he fucking closed his Twitter account. So, I mean, it's clearly all over the place. The the um, sci-fi article says that on Sunday. They reported uh, a petition created on cha- on uh, change.org asking the House of Mouse to reconsider their decision to dismiss, to dismiss Gunn after a series of old social media posts referencing things like pedophilia and rape in the context of shock value jokes. At the time, the petition was noteworthy because in just a couple of days, it had managed to garner nearly 60,000 signatures. Now, it, now it's dwarfed that number by a lot. As of Tuesday morning, the same petition had passed the 260,000 signature mark with new supporters joining it every few seconds. Now, I'm going to jump over. This is actually the change.org petition. So long way around slash P slash Marvel hyphen re slash hyphen hire hyphen James hyphen gun. You can get to the link directly from the highlighted petition created via change.org in the sci-fi.com article. But it says here, rehire James Gunn. It says here, right, the Chandler Edwards started this petition. Uh, I am smart enough to know this most likely won't change anything, but hopefully this could get Disney to realize the mistake they made and not do it again in the future. I agree on the point that if people say a bunch of stupid shit while working for a studio, the studio has full right to fire him over the possible controversy. The situation is very different, though, as he made these jokes years before he was working for Disney, and also the fact that they were jokes. I agree with most, including Gunn himself, that the jokes were shitty and unfunny, but they were still jokes. It wasn't an opinion or a statement. It was just a bad attempt at being funny. Uh, the other thing is, if you do this to Gunn, you have to do it for all the other directors who have said some crappy jokes sometime in their life, which is all of them, because I doubt there's one human on this planet who hasn't made a shitty joke once or twice in their life. If Marvel would come to their senses and rehire Gunn, that would be great, but if we, if all we can do is have proof by your signatures that Disney made a mistake, I would still count that as a win. That is the entirety of the uh, Change.org petition. 
as we are as i am looking at this right now it says here i'm going to refresh it and it says we have 283,628 signatures um and it's yeah and the number is even growing it just went to 31 32 33 so there are clearly hundreds of thousands of people who are out there saying look maybe we're going a little too overboard here and I put it out there on Twitter when I first saw this uh, back on the 20th. I, even I, I put it out there. I was like, have we gone too far? You know, what What are your thoughts? And Tim, def, you know, Tim, you had said you know, it was scary. And my, my, my take on this whole shtick is, again, I don't, it's not about agreeing. I, I never followed James Gunn on Twitter ever. I, I didn't really pay attention to any things that he was doing on Twitter or anything like that. I did know that he was he had a very weird sense of humor. I've seen uh his little porn in an auto shop short film and stuff like that. And so so we I I've seen kind of, you know, his headspace and yeah, he's trying to always be edgy and funny back then, but then as has been noted by other people it was the creative ability to tell his stories that made more difference at the end of the day than his ability to be air quote edgy and funny. Right. And so I'm not one to say that maybe there aren't things that we shouldn't joke about, but I am one to say that it just because you don't agree with it doesn't automatically make it wrong either. More more to the point for me, it just seems like, um, you know, people are taking him to task because every, everybody who says, well, this was years ago, and like, well, he was over 40 then. doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if he was 10 when he made the statement or if he was 50 when he made the statement. If it's literally been years and years and he hasn't made and he or she or this these people haven't made these statements anymore and you can see where their headspace is at and where the things have changed then you have to allow people to grow you have to allow people to be able to say this is who i used to be but this is who i am now and when they have a demonstrable track record to back it up it's no longer well it doesn't matter he was 40 okay so are you the same person today that you were 10 years ago what if you're 50 are you the same as when you were 40 if you're 60 you were the same when you were 50 i would venture to guess very few people would say yes that they are exactly the same as they were 10 or even 20 years ago despite their age and that's the part that kind of gets me the most if he had gone and done stupid shit like this uh yesterday uh, or four days ago, if he had tried to pull a Roseanne and then turn around and go, uh, you know, oh, it was an Ambien thing or whatever. Um, and good God, her latest excuse, even I won't repeat that because that's just fucking stupid. Uh, her latest excuse is fucking stupid. Then sure, let's let's have that discussion. I just I, I don't know. I'm I'm starting to think this is just it's being taken to the nth degree and no one's ever going to be able to say anything because everybody's policing thought now. 
I don't know, Tim. I apologize. I'm going all over the place here, and I haven't let you jump in. What, what, what do you What do you feel like? What What are you feeling? Where are you Where's your head at? Everybody grows, you know. Everybody matures. Even when you think you or another person is mature, there is still room to mature. There's always room to grow. It doesn't necessarily mean everybody is in the same category. For example, James Gunn. He realized later on, his brain maybe was hardwired to make these certain jokes. To him, they were funny. In a particular context, they were funny. Well, when Twitter was still a newer medium, at that time, you have to think about where he came from. He used to work on the, on the, on the trauma movies. So those are pretty raunchy flicks. You have to have a pretty disturbing mind <laughs> to come up with, with some of that humor. With him, it, his edgy humor to me isn't what I consider edgy humor. It's stupid humor. But again, that was Agreed. 10 years ago. He's grown up from that. Other people have to mature in different ways. Some people, when they're younger, when they're in their 30s, when they're in their fucking 40s, they think wearing Hawaiian shirts and jean shorts is a great fashion statement. Well, when they're 50, maybe that's when they finally mature a little bit with their sense of style and realize maybe wearing Hawaiian shirts in jean shorts every day is not the way to go. Maybe I should change it. You know, so there's like different variations of maturing. There's different categories of maturing. So people might not understand it. And to a certain degree, I kind of don't understand it, but people need to realize that 10 years ago, Twitter was a new medium. Facebook was semi-newish, I guess, but Twitter was still pretty damn new. So people were using that to their advantage, regardless if they were censoring themselves or not. I think what's important to learn here, because I know a lot of people, like what you were saying, are comparing him to Roseanne, or even comparing him to Donald Trump, even. The difference between all these people is that as what we know now, what you were saying, he's not making any excuses. James Gunn isn't. And he's been growing as a person. He's been maturing. And there are signs of that with the type of movies that he has been making. Look at Guardians of the Galaxy. Those movies are all about maturing in, 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 you know, in, in a way. You know, it's all about looking at things differently. Agreed. And let's, let us not forget... He literally apologized for the tweets like four years ago. So he admitted already that he was stupid and dumb and he shouldn't have made those comments. And he apologized for them. Sure. Not, not obfuscating in any way, shape or form back then either. Yep. I made him. I was a fucking dick move. I'm sorry. It was stupid. Won't happen again. And then it hasn't. And then it hasn't happened again. So what the fuck, people? Um, and what really pisses me off is that here's Disney. Dis it's not Disney knew. Disney knew those fucking tweets existed. They just knew that you didn't know. And now that you know, oh, there's a problem. So what the fuck? And I mean, that, that pisses me off more than anything else. I, and again, I don't fault them for wanting to maintain an image. What I fault them for is pretending like this is all of a sudden a big deal. Exactly. And things are different now than they were even five, six years ago. When, when we rebooted this show, 
certain things are more taboo. And you, you certainly can't be as politically incorrect now as we might have been six years ago. Or seven, back in 2011 when we very, very first started doing the show. In some ways, it's kind of a minor shift and a minor change. But when we're dealing with society and pop culture and what people find culturally or socially taboo in what they can say... Uh, especially about other people, it's weird. And and honestly, it is very scary because we do a show every week. And were there things that I've said in the past that maybe came out wrong, but, but maybe I didn't mean it that way? Of course. And there were definitely shows where episodes where I've said things one episode and then the next episode or two episodes later, I've came back and I realized I was wrong. And I try to make up for it in, in some way, or I, I admit it. So it's crazy because it's all about interpretation, you know, and with text messages, tweets, anything that you're writing within a specific, you know, confined space, you know, you only have certain amount of characters, especially 10 years ago, to share your thoughts. People can interpret it in any way they want. And that's stupid. That should not be used against you. People say that about Trump, but fucking look at Trump. Look at the type of person he is. I mean, he talks like a tweet. His speech patterns are a tweet. <laughs> it's not like James Gunn. It's not like some of these other people that are being ridiculed. A lot of them are, in some ways, definitely deserving of it. But I, I think James Gunn has definitely got the shit end of the stick with this one. And I'm not saying that because I'm, I'm actually a fan of Guardians of the Galaxy, but I like to see people who have made not the greatest decisions and really just based on those tweets, I don't think he actually hurt anybody <laughs> emotionally nor physically. I like to see people like that realize they did something wrong and for nine years now prove that they're not like that anymore. You know, it's scary. It's freaky. I agree, man. Do you agree is the question. So, <laughs> hit us up. Send us an email to the show at slscast.com. Hit us up on Twitter at the SLScast. You know, hit up Tim if you can find him on Twitter. Hit up me at nitwit12345. We want to hear from you. Yeah, send us Next emails. Week. We want yes, emails. Yes, emails especially. Emails especially. But um, I do want to say that next week we're going to be doing more news for you. So uh, look for that. And I believe we have now reached the point of the show where we need to do some movies, right? Yes, sir. Then let's do it, folks. It's the movie. We <laughs> In this week's movies are 2018's documentary Whitney, Skyscraper, also 2018, because apparently there's a lot of those movies called Skyscraper, and The Equalizer 2. So, where do you want to start there, Tim? Ooh, how about Whitney? Let's go to Whitney. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Loneliness calls. A voice, I was totally knocked out. Woo! Oh, you miss something if you don't see her lie. Do 
times when I would look up to God and I'd go, why is this happening to me? I come from a family of singers. My mom, she was a little tough on Whitney because she knew what Whitney had. There were always a lot of secrets. When you don't resolve things and you don't deal with things, they never go away. Tell me about Robin Crawford. Robin was her safety net. Bobby was jealous. His heart was, he wanted to be on the stage. He wanted to be in the forefront. And eventually, she stepped down to lift him up. People think it's so easy. And it's not. You got class, you got fall around the ride. Now, one thing, Paula Abdul ain't shit. That girl is singing off-key on the record. I don't really need to look. Why didn't Sissy do more? What was Whitney's drug of choice? What was it that drove them apart? How much do you think you spent? Did John ever try and get rid of Robin? Were they in love? You must have known about the drug use. I never knew there was any addiction. Do you think she understood herself? I had fun, and that's all that matters. Hearing her sing the Star Spangled Banner, she made people proud that they were Americans. I love you, Whitney. She was beautiful. I'm singing music from my heart. Heart. If I don't love you. All right, so we've got a 2018 documentary film. Of course, this is about the singer Whitney Houston. It is written and directed by Kevin McDonald. And um, basically, this is a look at Whitney Houston, uh, her entire life, uh, life and career. And all the twists and turns that it made and the effect that various things, primarily drugs, had on her life and career and her family. I felt that this film... was definitely a very good tool for helping people especially uh, especially young people of today understand what it was what it would be like to watch yourself grow during a particular time in the world and especially in the United States where someone can not just come out on the music scene or come out in the entertainment world but literally explode and hit a stratosphere unlike virtually anyone ever could and do it in a way that was relatable in both the in both the style of a time capsule and the style of and and in a true realistic interview fashion we see Whitney as a child we see the struggles that she went through growing up um, as her mother sissy houston went on the road and tried to make something of herself um and have and have her own successful career and how that turned into something that groomed whitney as she grew 
We see the dynamics of all of her family. And we see how that kind of bled into her early transition to being a full-time musician uh, and singer, as well as where these other interpersonal relationships develop, especially um, the young woman named Robin. And I'm sorry, I cannot think of her last name. Uh, but where this kind of come out, it also shows, it also showcases um, the behind much of the behind the scenes life that the vast majority of people never understood about Whitney Houston, including her, um, basically all but forthright admitted bisexuality, if nothing else. Um, uh, one of her, one of the people who were interviewed literally said if it, if you talk about it today, she would be considered fluid. Um, talk about that. Talks about drug use. Talks about self-destructive behavior. Talks about um, even uh, molestation. It uh, really goes into repeating familial patterns. She was left as a kid um, more often than not. It turns... and and. Uh, and when she was with her mom, it was a circus. And so when she has her child, Bobby Christina, you know, she ends up leaving her with her aunt. And then when she does take her on the road, turns into a circus. Um, all these things that just go into it. And it does a really good job also of backing it up against a lot of just tons and tons of concert footage tons and tons of rehearsal footage, um, all behind-the-scenes stuff, cutting-room floor things, as well as doing a lot of different soundtrack aspects that are either remixes of things you might have heard or, in certain cases, stuff that hadn't actually been released in terms of studio albums. And I think it, it does truly effectively get across... I mean, really, just the disaster that was her life. Um, you, you know, you always, you look on stage, you, you, you look at the, uh, you know, you're, you're Justin Bieber's of the world or, oh gosh, what, who am I thinking of here? Demi Lovato's, right? No, no, I'm thinking Demi Lovato, who I know isn't exactly super hip and current. You know, she just, she just overdosed on heroin today. Really? So you, you today? See, yes, today. Oh wow! And it was it was bad enough that they're hinting in the articles she might not make it. So, um, it, I mean, it, speculation clearly, but um, yeah. So you you see these people and you're like, wow, I wish I could be this person. Wow, what I wouldn't give to just have their life for a day. And then when you see what their life really was like day to day, you kind of think back and go. Maybe I didn't want that. And this is, and this is watching through the lens of my whole life. You have to understand, Whitney Houston, uh, what, is barely, or would have been, she was born in 1963. Okay, so she was literally 14 years, she's, uh, what, uh, she would have been, or I guess technically speaking, is 14 years older than I am. And I'm, and, and I'm watching, 
all the things and it's just like this flood of memories are coming back up and this waves and just waves and waves of nostalgia are hitting me over the head and washing over me and it makes the movie very very powerful in that regard i think that for those who did not grow up in that they would actually but they would still be able to make that connection between the excess and the life and how those things seemingly mesh from the outside looking in, but understanding what was going on from the inside, even then you're kind of like, wow, this is fucked up. The movie is very, very powerful in that regard, and I think it's very well done. What I think the movie lacks, though, is a cohesive vision that doesn't rely, that doesn't need to rely so heavily on, you know, uh, montage edits and flashy, uh, flash in the pan, um, cut shots and big flickering things that to, to help you identify the decade and stuff like that. Uh, that was a little heavy handed. And then to have it contrast with just stillness and small overhead pans and just, a shot like towards the end of the movie just a shot of 15 seconds just floating down a river kind of a thing it it starts to feel like it's too much padding and creates a film that in my opinion definitely eking in on 15 minutes too long that being said it's i mean it's still a good it's still a good movie and i would highly recommend you watch it honestly if it hadn't been distributed by Miramax, I would think this would almost be a shoe-in for a for an Oscar nomination. But because of the whole Miramax thing, I, I don't I don't know that it can be. Uh, let's you know, one can hope. We'll see. But as it stands, despite its you know overdone production in some points and the fact that it's a bit too long, I still give this one four stars. So, what do you got there, Tim? I thought it was a very good, very well-made documentary. I mean, it's absolutely heartbreaking. And at times, it's even difficult to watch because the issues that supported her downfall, I guess, just to me seemed very obvious. And that's easy because in the movie, somehow, I don't know who it came from, but the director, Kevin McDonald, got a hold of all these home videos. And it just shows her like doing drugs while rehearsing, doing drugs before a show and then performing horribly. And it's just, it's sad. Obviously the drugs are the issue who supported that issue. Bobby Brown. <laughs> and it just all seemed too obvious, you know, especially based on the crowd's uh, reactions to her drug use being denied by various friends and i think some of the it seemed like some of the family were pretty hip to say that she was doing drugs so maybe it was more so other people were denying it but anytime somebody said oh she was clean she was fine she wasn't abusing any drugs people in the crowd would just laugh at it because it was such a stupid statement because of how obvious it is people were also reacting interestingly to bobby brown how he fit into her life uh, in a very negative way, his impact on her life was very negative, was fairly obvious. Matt, when you saw this, was there a pretty good crowd or were you lonely? The, the only audience? person. 
I was the only person. No kidding. Yeah. Yeah, that's uh, a shame. I, I, yeah, and I will say though that um without spoiling too much, they they point blank ask Bobby Brown, "How do you feel about the about Whitney Houston's relationship with drugs?" And 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 her, you know, her drug problem. And he says she didn't have no Whitney Houston did, Whitney didn't have no drug problem. I'm not going to talk about that. Wait, excuse me? He's like he's like it literally was the cause of her death, and you don't think that? I just I was like, you, you're fucking stupid. What the fuck are you talking about? Didn't have a drug problem. And he'll say that, but then it'll cut to clips, multiple clips of that home video where Bobby Brown and her are obviously on something, and he's talking directly into the camera. You know, like it's mm-hmm. it's ridiculous. It is so ridiculous just how obvious this crap is, but. Certain people are are denying it, and unfortunately, these were the people that were close to her, and I honestly think that they're the ones who are at fault, who are, you know, partially at least, because they supported her and inadvertently supported her drug lifestyle, and it's absolutely sad and it's heartbreaking. Even when you what you learn about or relearn about her her daughter, it's. It, it's hard. It's very sad. I remember hearing about it, but it impacted me more in the context of the whole story than hearing just like a brief snippet, you know, on the news or reading it in an article or anything like that. However, the only real issues I had with this film is that, or this documentary, is that there are a lot of conflicting. There's a lot of conflicting information given by some of the talking heads. And to me, it really begs the question, is there another question to ask? You know, are are there more questions to ask? Are there different ways that the filmmaker could have worded these questions? I I, I don't don't know, because when Bobby Brown just says, no, that's it, that's all I'm going to say about her drugs and her death even, he's not in the documentary that much. But it seems like more information could have been put out there put a, you know could have been brought to the table so that the audience could have had clearer information to pass judgment on it seems like this is what the documentary really wanted the audience to do to give you enough information so the audience knew leaving that theater what happened but with these conflicting comments and memories and whatnot it just left this sort of void to where it's a little bit difficult to do that like certain things become more subjective you know and really that was my biggest issue with the film and really it wasn't that big of an issue because i still give it a 4.5 out of 5 Uh, i do agree with you a lot of the glitz and the glamour uh, the aesthetic glitz and the aesthetic glamour of the film uh it, it comes across as a little a little too much like uh, a little too much like padding so i agree with you on that but i give it a 4.5 out of 5 i recommend it it's only playing in one theater in la surprisingly it's down to like two or three show times right now uh but go and see it if you can i it's worth checking it out at the theater agreed agreed and i i know yeah it was only at um it's only at two theaters 
in Houston right now. And, uh, or at least the, the, the bigger theater chains, there's physically only two physical theaters that it's at. And, um, also down to like two or three showings. So it's, it's nearing the end of its run. So if you can get a chance this weekend, if it's not gone, get it. Um, all right. So where do you want to go from here, sir? I think we should keep Skyscraper for last and head over to Equalizer <laughs> 2 territory. Sounds like a plan, sir. Let's do it. First time to Turkey? No, no, no. Long time ago. Different life. Now you come back? Yes. I'm looking for something. You can find whatever you wish in Turkey. How about a man who kidnapped a little girl from her American mother? Would not be looking for such a man. Would be dangerous for you. Men like him would think that. It's great, you're helping all these random people and everything. Stay off the radar. Something happened to one of ours. So I'm obligated to look into it. I thought you were retired. Oh, I am. Just like you're dead. <laughs> yeah. What's the matter? They knew what floor she was on. They're tying up loose ends. Exactly. Partner for seven years, Mac. It's a mistake to go to war with him. They're going to war with me. It's go time. Whoever did this have all the chart skill sets. They're with the agency. Family. You ever see Star Trek? Very good. Call 911. They killed my friend. So I'm gonna kill each and every one of them. And the only disappointment is that I only get to do it once. Seeing you carrying all those books around, I figured you for some kind of teacher. I'm a high-level paid government assassin. <laughs> all right, Equalizer 2, a 2018 American thriller film directed by Antoine Fuqua. And, of course, it is the sequel to the 2014's Equalizer, which, of course, based on the TV series of the same name. Film stars uh, Denzel Washington, Pedro Pascal, Ashton Sanders, Mel- Melissa Leo, and Bill Pullman. And uh, follows the uh, follows Robert McCall as he gets sucked back into the intrigue of his former position at the untimely death of his last remaining friend. Um, so back in 2014, we actually reviewed, we actually hit the show or hit this movie up back in episode 95. Now at the time, uh, Tim was unable to see it in time for the show, but he has since of course seen the original. Uh, I gave the movie a three. I gave the original equalizer a three. I liked the movie mainly on the strength of the acting and the directing overall, but I felt that the movie was just simply too slow. For the action that it was trying to build up to, I think it was, you know, just trying to do a slow burn thriller kind of thing, but it just didn't pull off the timing very well. This movie absolutely improves on all fronts in terms of timing, execution, direction, editing. I really feel 
strongly that they definitely upped their game with the B and subsequent C plots of this film. So that while you're letting the slow burn happen of the A plot, you've got things to look at, do, and kind of keep you interested as you go along with the film. Despite that, and the strength again of the acting and everything, and a wonderful build-up and a great payoff towards the end of the film for its action aspects, two things kind of bothered me. Um, Despite the improvement overall in its editing and its uh, structure, the pacing still lags a little bit. It's still leaving a bit to be desired, combined with the fact that its A-plot is very, very predictable, and perhaps maybe, again, I just was able to pick it out, and yay for me, and maybe most people would not have picked it out so quickly. I don't know. But I was able to pick it out, and so it for me it was very, very predictable, and it kind of... It kind of hurt the action-adventure aspect of it for me. Even still, I give this movie a 3.75 out of 5. I really like the movie. I can't quite get into the four-star territory with it because of its failings, but it Equalizer 2 really and truly improves upon its predecessor. And if you haven't seen Equalizer, definitely check it out so that you can kind of get a feel for the way Denzel Washington handles the character and brings McCall to life, and then go in and see it. Um, this one actually topped the box office last weekend, and when I went and saw it today, it was a primarily older crowd, but again, it's an R-rated movie, and the movie theater was still almost completely full when I went and saw it at 10.30 in the morning, guys. So check this movie out. I think it's worth it. 3.75 out of 5. 10.30 a.m. on a Tuesday yes, morning. Yes, sir. At a Cinemark. That's not bad. Yes. That's not I bad. Would say, I would say 75 to 80% full. Okay. Well, that's not bad. Yeah, yeah. So Equalizer 2 almost fell victim to the surge pricing on MoviePass. But I'm actually glad I... Uh, was able to catch the super late showing last night. I wasn't particularly excited to catch the super late showing, but I did. I enjoyed it. I wasn't the biggest fan of the first movie. I didn't review it on the show, but I did watch it. I thought it was too slow. That's the only thing I remember from the film. It was just too slow. But I thought Denzel Washington was good, and there were enough glimpses of uh, of a good movie sprinkled throughout the film itself that I, I i knew something else could have something great could have come out of it now comparing the equalizer 2 to the first the equalizer i guess the sequel actually kept my attention there's more pep in its step the timing is good however certain character and story nuances are either rushed or skipped entirely like there's this character named Miles, this kid who's on the on, on the cusp of joining a gang, uh, if he hasn't already. I I just don't really understand why Denzel Washington's character really cares about Miles, why he wants to help him out. I don't know if I missed something or what, but I, I wasn't exactly too sure why he wanted to help this boy out. And I and because of that, I also thought it was strange that the story lost its focus after a certain character that was in the first movie gets murdered, 
the focus then shifts to the relationship between Denzel and Miles. So I wasn't exactly on board with that, but I did enjoy the camera placement within certain action scenes, within even some of the more dramatic scenes as well, or, or, or as the motion scenes even. I enjoyed the camera placement and the editing and the sound. I thought all of that just made for a masterclass in how to sculpt a good thriller flick. I mean, you need something visually stimulating, you need something audibly stimulating, and within the various action elements, this movie just really ticks everything off. It's just none of these action set pieces were 100% satisfying. It was because maybe I wasn't 100% behind any of these characters, or because these action set pieces were relatively short and small, with the exception of the last set piece, which I thought was really cool. Keep in mind that a lot of this movie, in the background, it's building up to a major storm. I really like that, because it just created this really neat atmosphere, you know, mood over the course of the entire film while they were in, in Boston. I give it a 3.5 out of 5. It was entertaining. It held my attention. I, I don't know what the reason was. It was missing certain important character and story nuances that would have cleared certain aspects up, but still 3.5 out of 5 for me. Awesome possum. All right. Well, then that is going to leave us with 2018's Skyscraper. You ever miss it? I haven't touched a gun in 10 years after what happened that night. FBI, show me your hands! I just put my sword down, you know? Without that bad luck. You're going to be okay. I never would have met Sarah. I never would have had my kids. Daddy loves who? Me. Daddy loves who? Me. Me. I love you. You matter. Mr. Sawyer, you are the very first family we've had in the residential section of the Pearl. After your security assessment, what do you think of the building? The Pearl is the most advanced, super tall structure in the world. It's a breathtaking achievement. But no one really knows what would happen if things go wrong. Hello, boys. Let it burn. The 96th floor is on fire. Sarah, listen to me. The fire is not going to stop. Keep going up. Don't stop. Don't look back. Get back. Whoa, 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 whoa. You don't understand. My family's in there. Turn around. Okay. Don't look down. That was dumb. How did you get in the building? Jumped off a super crane. Just the man I was looking for. This building is protecting something that I want. You're going to get it for me. Anything can be done with the proper motivation. No! Daddy! We gotta do this together. I'm scared. It's okay to be scared. In order to be brave, you gotta be a little scared. I gotta get you out of this building. And I need you to be brave right now, okay? Yeah. 
Dad loves you. All right, so we've got that uh, skyscraper, uh, 2018 American action film written and directed by Ross and Marshall Thurber, stars Dwayne Johnson, Nev Campbell, Jin Han, Roland Muller, Noah Taylor, Byron Mann, Pablo Schreiber, and Hannah Quinn. Quinn Livin, Quinn Livin, Quinn Levon, I don't know. Basically, story follows a former FBI agent who must rescue his family from a newly built skyscraper, the tallest in the world, after it is taken over by criminals and set on fire. Um, all right, so remember, remember, I said that I was going to be uh, making Diana proud with this review. All right, so I'm sitting here watching this movie. And it's pretty bad. But once again, Dwayne Johnson, let's face it, The Rock, he just got charisma. You know, he's kind of more or less playing different facets of the same character when he's in this genre. But he's just such a likable guy in general. And he puts that charisma and that heart into the characters that he portrays that you kind of, more often than not, you just can't help but like him. And so that likability translates into an enjoyable, a more enjoyable experience overall. And the same thing happens here. The movie in and of itself isn't really all that great. As other reviewers have stated online and, and other comparisons that I've seen that I thought of myself, um, it's kind of like Towering Inferno meets Die Hard, set in 2018. So... I get it. That's what we're trying to do. I mean, it's very, very formulaic in terms of setting up key plot points and devices that come with their payoffs at the end. Um, everything from the usefulness of Dwayne Johnson's leg. He's got, he, he was partial amputee. So he's got, uh, um, he's got one of those carbon fiber, uh, uh, prosthetics. All the way to turning it off and back on again, right? Oh, it's titanium, isn't it? Because that that's a whole titanium joke, the whole dwarf okay. thing. Yeah. Okay. So, all right. So titanium, great. So, um, it's, so so it, it's very it's very cliched. It's very simple. There's nothing spectacular about it. And both Towering Inferno and Die Hard are better films on the whole. However. The movie is still a great, fun, straightforward action flick that does exactly what it's trying to do. Trip you up with some fun cinematography because the very first time that, uh, you, the, the very first time that, uh, what's his name? Uh, Will Sawyer, that's the character Dwayne Johnson plays. The very first time you see him get up and he's getting on top of the, the this um, sky crane or whatever. They do this shot angled at his feet as he gets over. And I'm sitting in my seat going, whoa, I almost got, I, I literally almost got a little bit of vertigo the first time I saw that. I'm like, okay, this is kind of fun. So they they really do try and make it so that despite its generic action flavorings, they're still trying to provide you with a good experience that allows you to just enjoy, sit back, and enjoy the ride. I don't necessarily want to say this is a turn-off-your-brain kind of movie because some of the dialogue uh, really does actually try to be snappy, try to be peppy. Um, it, it, it's, it doesn't always succeed, 
but it still at least is attempting that kind of stuff. And so, it, again, it's doing all these little things that help keep you engaged, despite the fact that it's not really anything you haven't seen before. Once again, very much carried on the strength of the charisma that is Dwayne Johnson, and I enjoyed myself while I watched the movie. It's not a great movie, but it is a good movie in terms of having fun, in terms of having some action, and watching shit blow up on screen. If that's your bag, you're going to enjoy it. If it's not, clearly then not. I give this one a 3 out of 5. And Diana, I told you I would come in. I, I'm here for you. Do you see? It would come in and shine for Skyscraper today. 3 out of 5. I liked it. <laughs> Bring us home, Tim. Diana, I think you're going to continue to not be happy with me with this episode. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I get it. People like The Rock. And The Rock... Definitely has made movies that I thoroughly enjoyed, to name two off the top of my head. You have The Rundown, and lately, Jumanji. I thought he was very entertaining, and the movie itself was very entertaining. But here with Skyscraper, we have The Rock and nobody else who is entertaining or fun or interesting to look at or listen to or spend time with. I mean, even the bad guy is your most generic bad guy. I mean, he has... Whenever I try to think of the Equalizer 2 and Skyscraper bad guys, they're both interchangeable. You know, they were black, and they have short hair, buzz cuts, and they want to kill the main protagonist. But what the movie definitely has going for it is that I, too, was under the dizzying spell of how tall the tower is. So whenever he's hanging off the edge of the building... I thought it looked cool. I bought into it. But you're quickly taken out of that moment with how The Rock is easily able to pull himself up back into the building. So you're right back into popcorn action movie. And that's great, and that's fun, because, hell, I mean, Die Hard did the same type of shit also. But what's different between the Die Hard movies in this movie... I actually cared about the Die Hard movies. The action was great. The story was somewhat, you know, people could buy into it. But most importantly, the action set pieces and sequences are something that you can actually get caught up in. With this movie, not so much. The little surprise sneak attacks, we've seen them before. You knew it was going to happen when they were set up an hour beforehand. When the movie just comes down to the rock versus the building itself while he's trying to traverse it, it's just so ridiculous. Personally, it was just difficult for me to fully 100% get behind. Uh, one of the biggest props I give this movie is the cinematography done by Robert Elswit. Robert Elswit was the cinematographer for Nightcrawler, Punch Drunk Love, There Will Be Blood, Good Night and Good Luck. They have a really good cinematographer working on this film. So some of the coloring that they used kept my attention. It was interesting to look at. But it, to me, in a way, it seemed like it, it had the same effect as a child infatuated by... Baby Einstein, slowly because Baby Einstein was created to grab the attention of young kids. In addition to The Rock being able to easily pull himself up 
from dangling hundreds upon hundreds of stories high above the ground, he is also able to hold a burning slash collapsing bridge together to keep it stable. It's just corny. I, I, I think now the whole idea that The Rock is able to do all this stuff because it seems like it's something that The Rock maybe in some way believes that he can do this stuff. I don't know. It's just kind of becoming old. And I believe that is being reflected in the box office because the movie isn't making as much as they were hoping it would make. People are a little bit tired of it. It's not because of the genre. People will go and watch The Towering Inferno if they remake The Towering Inferno. People will go and see another Die Hard movie if the Die Hard movie is good. The last Die Hard movie sucked, so it didn't do too well. <laughs> but I give it a 2 out of 5. At times, it was entertaining. The Rock is The Rock. I do fall into his spell, but with this one, I found myself coming out of it one too many times. So I just didn't like it. 2 out of 5. Fair enough. All right. Well, then, that brings us to the end of the movies. Next week's movies are going to be Mission Impossible, Fallout, Sorry to Bother You, and Leave No Trace, all available in the theaters. So, without further ado, I believe that brings us to the spiel, does it not, sir? Spiel on. Hello, Walter. Make yourself at home. Mr. Mill. I understand you're kind of late coming in this morning. You all right? I'm fine. Appreciate your concern. What can I do for you, Walter? Don't tell me you came here to pitch me a story. <laughs> That's exactly what I've come to do. It's a good one, too. It's about a writer, sort of. David Kahane. David Kahane? Who's David Kahane? Oh, you met him. Well, I meet a lot of writers. Uh-huh, but this particular writer that you met was murdered last night in the back of the Rialto Theater in Pasadena. Murdered? Well, come to think of it, Pasadena's as good a place to die as any. So what's the story? 25 words or less. Okay. Movie exec calls writer. Writer's girlfriend says he's at the movies. Exec goes to the movies, meets writer, drinks with writer. Writer gets conked and dies in four inches of dirty water. Movie exec is in deep shit. What do you think? That's more than 25 words. And it's bullshit. You know, if Pasadena Homicide doesn't think it's bullshit, they got a complete report. Right, well, the music you've been listening to, as always, has been brought to us by our music partners, Cries of Solace. You can check them out at ReverbNation.com and Facebook.com, both slash Cries of Solace. As for us, we are, of course, the SLS Cast, and you can find us at SLSCast.com. You can send us an email to the show at SLSCast.com. You can follow me on Twitter at Nitwit12345. You can, of course, follow us on Twitter at the SLS Cast, and you can, of course, track down Tim on Twitter if that's your heart's desire. As for listening to us, well, hey, why don't you give us a listen over at Stitcher, on iTunes, on on SoundCloud and all the other wonderful podcast directories you can think of. And if you want to support the show, don't forget to check us out over at the old Patreon. So until next week, this is Matt saying that thanks to Nev Campbell, I get to say this. No matter what your choices are, you truly have no control about what people think of you. 
Take care, cinephiles, and we'll talk at you again next week. Madam, perhaps we should be going. Oh, very well, monsieur. Thank you so much. So nice to see you. And I hope very much we will see you again very soon. Au revoir, monsieur. Thanks again for listening to the SLS Cast with your hosts, Matt and Tim. You can find us over at slscast.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at the SLS Cast. You can send us an email to the show at slscast.com. And of course, you can always subscribe to us on iTunes and or favorite us on Stitcher Radio. Thanks again for listening.